0: Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. So this morning here at Arcadia, we're catching up in the series that I've been preaching in the book of Exodus, and uh, Exodus chapter 20, uh, do turn in your Bibles and follow with me, please, and uh, in fact, I'm going to read just from the uh, last verse, verse 24 of chapter 19, and then go on through to uh, verse 17 of chapter 20. So the Lord said to him, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So just so far, the passage this morning. Lord, as we come to this passage, just in the unfolding of your revelation to us, the words that we sang just a few minutes ago ring in my own heart. That we, Lord, I cannot boast in anything other than Jesus Christ and his work for us. And as we come to this passage, these commandments, and begin to study them over these next weeks, pray that you would, Lord, lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And Lord, again and repeatedly we ask... Won't your spirit be pleased to work among us? Help me in the words that I choose and select. And Lord, give to the preaching today uh, your blessing, unction, and to each of us an ability to submit and learn, we pray, to the glory of God. Amen. So I found an article that I thought would be helpful to introduce our study That we will be focusing on now, of course, over these next weeks, God willing, in uh, Exodus chapter 20. It was an article that appeared in the Daily Maverick, 11th of January, 2021, and it had the following headline. That's what caught my attention The End of Ethics in South Africa. The End of Ethics in South Africa. The author, the journalist, Ismail Lagardian, and I want to quote him because he has some, I think, interesting insight that would be worth uh, listening to or hearing as we tackle this passage. He writes, he says, our politicians, as well as elites outside of government, have either dispensed with any moral obligation to do good for its own sake, or they have surrendered any notion of justice for its own sake, and abandoned any ethical consideration. Now, do you hear what has been said by a journalist observing our society? The article continues, and I want to quote some more. He says, to them, those, the politicians, and also to the many elites, getting to positions of power is enough. In such instances, and here's a new word I learnt. In such instances, partiality ethics is, and he describes it, is similar to saying it is our turn to eat. Okay, Catch that phrase? It's our turn to eat. In the sense that it once was other people's turn to eat. And now you battle and trample on others to get to the top because it's your turn to eat. This way, ethics of partiality, the masses of evidence that we have seen over the past years demonstrate that once you have achieved your goal, now what could that goal be? Becoming a CEO or a COO or presidential spokesman. You've made it. You've made it. And where have you made it? You've made it to the feeding trough. And it's your turn to eat. Now, that kind of comment ought to be of concern to us. But as I thought about it, I came to the conclusion that at the same time, the self centeredness of secular society is surely something we should expect. Isn't that true? We should expect that. Because we understand, as those who are Bible believing uh, Christians, we we believe the truth that self seeking or or self exalting or, or self serving attitudes are an expression of human depravity. It's the sinful nature at work, it's the sinful nature showing itself and looking after itself. Of greater concern and interest to us, and I would hope yeah, this morning at Central we would have this concern on our hearts, would rather be the ethics and morality of the church. That's what we ought to be thinking about. It's what we ought to be examining and even uh, uh, applying ourselves to. And so the question I want to ask is, can the lifestyles, can the life choices amongst us Christians also be included in the article, The End of Ethics in South Africa. For me, that's the challenge. Is there a difference? Are we different? Are we different? Well, the sad reality is more and more, even in Christian circles, there's a flood of growing disagreement regarding ethical or moral matters and I can give some examples. Marriage between a man and a woman, gender identity, gender fluidity, uh, euthanasia, abortion. And and so those are the big issues. Even amongst the church, there's debate, there's disagreement, some going in this direction, some going in that direction. But but if we go a little bit deeper, and, and we think it's not just those bigger issues that we think are bigger issues, but they are things like greed amongst believers, or malice, or dishonesty, dispositions that also are demonstrating evidence of sinful nature. Sometimes these attitudes, these dispositions, these actions are not only evident, but applauded. And so as the years go by, it would be fair to say that it's becoming increasingly difficult for us believers those of us who are serious about our walk of faith with Jesus, it's becoming increasingly difficult for us to answer the question, how then should we live? How should we live Monday, Tuesday, the rest of the week and next week and next year as these issues constantly confront us and bombard us? What decisions will we make? What life choices will we make? Well, it's a long time ago now, but I became a Christian, and, and one of the uh, earlier books that I was given to read was Francis Schaeffer's book. Some of you are older will remember the book. It was, in fact, entitled, How Should We Then Live? He published it in 1976, and uh, the subtitle of the book was The Rise and Decline of Western Thought and Culture. That immediately came to my mind. It was a book that influenced me in the late 70s. Well, Schaeffer was, I believe, absolutely right. When he began this particular book, how should we then live with these words? There is a flow to history and culture. So the world we live in is not static. It's constantly changing. There's a flow, there's change. The culture we are constantly in changes. And, 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 and it has the possibility more than the possibility of affecting us Christians. And so therefore, we Christians ought to know, we, need to, had, we had better know which way the culture is flowing and how we ought to respond. And again, I, I quote Schaefer. he says, people, we, people, all people, have presuppositions and they will live more consistently on the basis of those presuppositions then they themselves may realize. In other words, you make decisions, I make decisions on, 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 on core values that we've adopted. And sometimes we don't even know that, but we do it anyway. And so this morning, I want to begin this sort of sub-series in the book of Exodus where I believe that each one of us needs to be aware of and also ready. We need to be ready to face and stand against what I would call the flood from the current massive storm of humanistic and secular worldview overtaking our society. South Africa, Pretoria, is no longer dominated by a Christian worldview. So perhaps a, a question, again, just part of my introduction to get us thinking. Do, do you, do I, do I, Have the kind of presuppositions in line with the convictions of the psalmist. And I want to quote the psalmist and see if this resonates with you. In Psalm 19, where the psalmist says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And listen to what he says. And 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 this is a challenge. It ought to be a challenge to you and to me. More to be desired are they than gold. Even much refined, fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover... By them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Well, for some months now we've been studying the book of Exodus, and now getting to chapter 20, and we've got to the section known as the Ten Commandments. I think, I believe, I'm convinced, it is an opportunity for us as a congregation, as a people, to revamp and strengthen our presuppositions. Need some reinforcing, some strengthening, some reviving. All these things that need to be strengthened regarding our convictions that influence our daily decisions, our daily life choices. And so I know there's some skeptics among us. So I'm first gonna, my first point this morning is going to be a little bit of an apologetic And I'm going to ask a question and I'm going to give some answers. Why should you bother giving attention to the Ten Commandments? That's my first point. That's the question I want you to think about. And number one is simply this to avoid ignorance. There's a well known saying ignorance is bliss. Is that really true? Ignorance is bliss. Well, I did a little bit of research and I found out uh, the first person to identify that particular slogan or phrase was a Latin author by the name of Publius Cyrus. In 85 BC, he was born. He put it a little bit differently. He says, In knowing nothing, life is most delightful. Is that true? Should you and I, in what we 've seen true about God in Exodus nineteen don 't forget that the Ten Commandments flow from Exodus nineteen comes before Exodus twenty. Can any believer honestly say that in not knowing what God has given in the Ten Commandments, life can be most delightful i don 't think many among us would think that, but it does leave us with a challenging question. It prompts a challenging question. Why is there today so little effort, so little attention in teaching our children or even ourselves knowing the Ten Commandments? I wondered if we were to have a pop quiz, how many of us would be able to recite all ten of the commandments? Or five? Or three. How many of us would know that there are two tables or two sections to the Ten Commandments? And so, one of the reasons I'm wanting to give this morning, why you ought to bother giving attention to the commandments, get to know the law that God spoke to Moses and to the people of Israel. And even with the benefit of Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 6, keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is wise, is a wise and understanding people. Now just by the way, a reminder to you that we here at Central Baptist Church and other churches in 2022 are not the first churches to appear on the scene. The church has been going, it has been established since the first century, of course, Since the day of Pentecost, and prior to that, the Old Testament, but I'm speaking now specifically church. And did you know that the church historically has put the Ten Commandments at the center of her instruction to children and also to new believers? For centuries, teaching people the fundamentals of the faith. You want somebody, and they say, what are the fundamentals of Christianity? Well, down through the centuries, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, out of 107 questions, 42 are about the Ten Commandments. So what I'm simply saying is, why do we suddenly get to 2022 and say this doesn't matter? Down through the ages, down through history of the church, men and women of faith have recognized the importance of knowing these commandments, refusing to believe that in knowing nothing, life is most delightful. Dear friends, let us at Central avoid being ignorant of God's revelation to us. Number two, another reason why you ought to give yourself to the study and understanding of the Ten Commandments It is to have a moral foundation. A couple of weeks ago, I was in the Drakensberg uh, with my son and daughter-in-law, and my son and I like to run together. And on the evening before we left, we decided we would do a trail run. And the trail run was under a canopy of trees. And uh, as we were running, we saw that you had to be very careful where you placed your foot. Eventually, I said to my son, much younger than me, of course, I said to him, you run first, and I'll follow in your footsteps, and I'm so glad I did that, because it wasn't a few minutes later where he fell on his tail, and, and the reason was he slipped. There was mud. There was There was water. And, and under the canopy of trees, he didn't see it. It wasn't firm. It wasn't dry. It was slippery and wet. And the truth is, there's a principle that we can apply here on the slippery and wet path in the course of your life. If you don't have foundations, if you don't have solid rock to stand on, at some point in time, you will fall on your face and you will be all over the place in your life choices and decisions. The Ten Commandments provide a moral foundation for us believers. Even as indicated earlier, as I quoted Francis Schaeffer, it provides solid presuppositions from which to make godly lifestyle choices. But it's not just pragmatic. It's also, and I'm going to try and build a case here, the Ten Commandments are central to the ethics of the Old Testament. If you look in your Bibles, and of course the passage we've been looking at, uh, God, in that instance, identified as Yahweh, which is the covenant name of God, is speaking these particular words, the Ten Commandments, directly to the people. There's a change, no longer saying, Moses, you go down and you tell the people. This is the message you ought to share with him. Uniquely, the Ten Commandments, we see that God is speaking all these words, verse one, directly to them. That's why at the end of the Ten Commandments, verse 19, I didn't read that verse. They, that is the people said to Moses, you speak to us. We will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. They saw something of the severity and the seriousness and the awesomeness of these words that God was speaking to them. They were so afraid. And then in the unfolding of Israel's history, the significant words of the Ten Commandments, remember, were carved into stone. They were placed in the Ark of the Covenant. Deuteronomy chapter 5 placed in the Ark of the Covenant as a constant reminder to them that it was at that mountain, those awesome hours, moments, where there was smoke and fire and thunder and lightning. God spoke directly to them. These commandments were to be at the center of what God required of them. But then also, I want to show you that the Ten Commandments are also central to the ethics of the New Testament. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17, there's a rich man that comes up to Jesus and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus responds, you know the commandments. Then he starts listing the second table of the law, the commandments that relate to our neighbors. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. In other words, the point I'm trying to make is when Jesus has to give a summary, a convenient summary and a standard of our duties to one another, he immediately quotes the Ten Commandments. And if you look at the passage, of course, he leaves off number 10 because he knew the heart of the rich man. Number 10 had said, or does say, you shall not covet. And what he was doing was exposing the sinful heart of the rich man, knowing that he could not, by obeying the Ten Commandments, earn salvation. We see also in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus declaring, Matthew 5, verse 17, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Then there was that other occasion where Jesus summarized the law in answer to a question by a lawyer about the greatest commandment in Matthew 22. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he adds a statement, a summary statement. On these two commandments depend what? All the law and the prophets. We find also the Apostle Paul in Romans 13, describing what it means to be a Christian living in obedience to God. Romans 13, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Great. Then he continues, he elaborates. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When Paul wants to give an example of what it means to show us what the kind of love toward each other ought to look like, he goes to the Ten Commandments and quotes them. My argument is that we see that both Jesus and Paul, when they need a convenient way to give ethical instruction, they often go to the Ten Commandments. And so like the people of Israel back then, and I believe the folk exposed to Jesus and Paul, dear friends, we too, in 2022, we people at Central Baptist Church need a moral foundation. We need solid presuppositions of truth. Number three, there's another argument. Why should you consider studying the Ten Commandments? It's to have and to do that which is good. Let me explain. C.S. Lewis, well-known author, commented on how the psalmist could say that he delights in the law of the Lord. Now, let me quote Lewis. He says, that's strange. That's strange. You delight in all sorts of things, God, his promises, his word, or his grace. But who says, I love laws? Well, the psalmist does. It's like arriving on solid ground after a shortcut gone awry through the mud and mire as you're messy, squishy, and stinky fumbling your way through life. Then you hit something solid, law. You see, folk, we scarcely ever think how much better life would be if everybody kept the Ten Commandments. Imagine that. If you say, I don't like the commandments, I don't like God telling me what to do, why don't you just think for a minute what it would be like even here in Pretoria, South Africa, if everybody kept the Ten Commandments? We wouldn't need copyright laws. We wouldn't need patent laws or intellectual property rights. You wouldn't need locks. You know, I let people into my house through my garage door. You know why? Because that's one door. If I let people in through my front door, I have to unlock four locks. I wouldn't need any locks if, any, if everybody obeyed the Ten Commandments. We wouldn't have to spend any money on security. We wouldn't need an army or a police force. You wouldn't need courts, contacts, or prisons. You needn't worry if your spouse is cheating, cheating on you. Isn't that good? You see how the law is good? Can you imagine what, what life would be like if, if people obeyed the Ten Commandments? Oh, the law is good. Romans 7 verse 12, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Well, those are my arguments in an apologetic. I want to move on now to the passage. Second half of my message, giving attention, I hope to convincing, I hope I've convinced you, the Ten Commandments have value. But my second question this morning, why should you strive in your life to obey the Ten Commandments? So now it's not just thinking about it, it's not just owning them, it's now obedience, it's now practical living. And I have a couple of reasons. Number one, because of who you are. Well, who are you? As you sit here this morning, you've come together as a professing believer, you've come as someone who has come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You come as identified in Exodus chapter 19 where God tells Moses to tell those people back then, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Before giving them the Ten Commandments, God tells them that they are a people set apart as holy. And again, it's not just that it's said in the Old Testament. Almost verbatim, we find the Apostle Paul, he he draws on this passage, the Apostle Peter, sorry, who draws on this passage, and he says the same things when he writes to Christians who are scattered. Holy nation, royal priesthood. We are, as the people of God, a holy nation. Now, what does that mean? We're different. We're different to the unbeliever. We're different to the people in the rest of the world. We're different by, to those who are consumed with, 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 with their own self-centeredness and, and, and their own depravity that consumes their lifestyle choices. And so, yes, we must be prepared to stand alone. Why? understanding that we are a holy nation that we ought to be set apart that we ought to look different are you different are you different to your colleague do you use the same language do you use the same ethics with your bank account do you fill in your tax return in a different way to the person who's ducking and diving or perhaps uh, arranging tenders or whatever it may be are we different have we know we have a set of commandments and, and the world doesn't like those commandments and they think they have better ideas and better ways of their own. God has called you and me as Christians to be holy. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15 But as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written You shall be holy, for I am holy. Well, second reason because of who God is. The second verse of our passage, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord. That's the introduction to the Ten Commandments. God is identifying Himself, He's reminding them of who He is. And in fact, He uses the name there that He had that He had revealed to Moses back in Exodus chapter three and verse thirteen. Remember when Moses was uncertain how he was going to face uh, Pharaoh and, and and ask for their release and and, and uh, God, who should I say is sending me? What is your name? And Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? What did he say? Say to them, I am. Not I was, not I'm becoming, not I'm going to be, or I hope to be. I am. I am the Lord. And so, folks, let's remember who God is. He's sovereign. He's self-existent. He has no need. He is self-sufficient. He's the Almighty Creator. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere present, and 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 so much more. He's He's holy. He's loving. He's compassionate. And and so this God is. That's the point of what I'm saying. And if God is, we we don't decide who He is or what He wants. He decides. You. Subjectively, you may be challenged or you may be uh, doubting, and, and you, you may be thinking, well, uh, uh, maybe, maybe I do need to think about if there is a God. Well, it doesn't change the fact that there is a God. I think it would be presumptuous, it would be foolish, knowing that there is a God, to simply go with the flow of society and culture that rejects this God and create our own ethical code. And I can add to that, I'll elaborate on this as days unfold. The law is an expression of the lawgiver's heart and nature. And I want you to just pause there for a minute. And I demonstrated just now that the commandments are good. God is good. And so the expression of the law is a demonstration of the goodness of God to people. This is what God is like. This is what he wants from his people. And, of course, they say something to us about the honor and the worth and the majesty. They tell us about what matters to him. And so a challenging statement, I think, is we can't have contempt for the law without also having disrespect for the lawgiver in our hearts We must obey the Ten Commandments because of who he is in himself. Thirdly, third reason would be because of who God is to us. Again, from our passage in the second verse, I am the Lord, your God. God is not distant. He's not removed from us as a people yet this morning. In fact, Patrick eloquently reminded us this morning that God is among us. We are his people. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, he affirms, you are my treasured possession among all the peoples. What a privilege who God is to us. God is not distant. He's not someone who's far off, who who wields an unbridled uh, uh, amount of power and authority and and is an unpredictable tyrant who lashes out with uncaring and and merciless and, and, uh, uh, and malice. It's a personal God. It's like our Father, is our Father. And indeed, as Paul quotes in Romans, I love the book of Hosea. He quotes Hosea, he says, Those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not my beloved, I will call beloved. And the very place where it is said to them, You're not my people, their God will be called the sons. There they will be called the sons of the living God. We are the people of God. Number four, because of where we are. So we go back to Exodus and we see in verse two that uh, Israel had been brought out of the house of slavery. The Israelites were no longer in Egypt. And as we look at the New Testament, we see that the New Testament uses Egypt as a metaphor for sin and bondage to sin, bondage to self. We are a freed people. So the Ten Commandments is not a tool for bossing slaves around. It's a word, and this is important, it's a word to former slaves, those who've been released about how to live in their God-given freedom. The biblical definition of freedom is not doing whatever you want. it's called licentiousness. It's enjoying the benefits of doing what you should. So we too often thinks, we, are, we too often think of the law or as the Ten Commandments as restricting us. Oh, if we have all these rules, we, we're in bondage. But we don't realize that these commandments are for our joy and for Life. One John chapter five verse two. This is for true for the people of God. These commandments are not burdens, burdensome. So, just uh, by way of illustration and comparison, I thought I would try and establish how many laws we have on the books in South Africa. I wonder if anybody knows. Well, the best I could find my search on Google: ninety-nine pages. 99 pages listing different acts of laws that are applied to the citizens and residents of South Africa. Now, think for a minute if there were no acts and everybody in South Africa simply did as they saw fit, well, some already do, chaos would result. In our suburbs, on our roads, everywhere. Well, the last reason. Obey the commandments, dear friends, because of what what God has done. The Ten Commandments begin with a statement of historical fact. I am the Lord, verse 2, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So the moral code is based on something that actually happened in history. People were subjected to slavery, and then they were set free. They were liberated out from the harsh hand of Pharaoh. Why? To do as they please? No. To worship God. And so the law comes after the good news of deliverance. And so, yes, I want to be clear, even as we go to the Lord's table this morning, the law comes after the good news of deliverance. Salvation is not a reward for obedience. Salvation is the reason for obedience. And I want to say that again because that's important for us to, to realize. Salvation is not the reward for obedience. Salvation is the reason Reason. For obedience. And so as we look back today also to uh, an historical occasion, historical fact. We're going to look at this at the Lord's table. Jesus lived and died and rose again. Historical fact. Salvation for sinners was accomplished. That salvation has been applied to people in bondage. Redemption accomplished. Redemption applied. How then shall we live? Live in conformity. Continual transformation into the likeness of Christ. Released from the bondage of sin. You and I being transformed. I trust. Day by day. More and more. To be like Jesus. Those new creatures in Christ. Christ. Who follow on from being liberated from the bondage of sin. And so, in conclusion, the Ten Commandments are from God who is holy, given for His glory and our good. The truth be said, if you think seriously about any of them, especially as Jesus elaborated in the Sermon on the Mount you will see that you probably have broken every one of them. If not indeed, in thought. And that's why we need a Savior. That's why God provided the Savior, Jesus, who died to forgive your sins. Dear friends, when you trust in the Lord Jesus to save you, true conversion leads to a new disposition. Disposition a desire to do that which is pleasing to God. Therefore, wanting to know what ought those presuppositions and foundations to be, to joyfully obey his commandments out of love for him. I think at this time it's appropriate that we go to the Lord's table. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads, and those stewards who are serving, if you would take your places also at the different serving points. Lord, thank you for your word. And even the commandments who become to us like a mirror. Just exposing, Lord, that indeed all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Lord, we take a step back today. And going back to the historical reality of redemption accomplished. And Lord, may we focus our thoughts away from ourselves for a moment and just look to you and honor you. Express our appreciation to you. Thanking you, Lord, for your patience with us. Thanking you for your love. And especially that love demonstrated in sending your Son, the Lord Jesus, to save us from our sin. But I do pray today, Lord, that we would not stop short of pursuing holiness, pursuing that, Lord, which does not grieve your spirit, but that which is pleasing to you, that which becomes evident amongst those who are trophies of grace. So meet with us, Lord, as we spend these moments As we partake of the elements, thank you for the symbols that they are communicating to us again, your body given, your blood shed. This wonderful work of substitutionary atonement, our Savior dying in our place, taking upon himself our sin, giving to us crediting to us his own perfect righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for that wonderful gift, the anticipation of glory. As we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.